The scripture readings are taken from two passages, one from the Old Testament, the other from the Gospels. After we read from the Old Testament, I will invite us to stand for the Gospel. For now, let us hear from Joshua, the fourth chapter, verses 20 to 24. Joshua set up at Gilgal those twelve stones they had taken from the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future your children will ask their parents, What about these stones? Then you'll let your children know. Israel crossed over the Jordan here on dry ground. This was because the Lord your God dried up water of the Jordan before you until you crossed over. This is exactly what the Lord your God did to the Reed Sea. He dried it up before us until we passed over. This happened so that all the earth peoples might know that the Lord's power is great and that you may always revere the Lord your God. Now may we stand for the gospel reading as you are so able in body and spirit and receive this word from the passage of Luke. A man named Simeon was in Jerusalem. He was righteous and devout. He eagerly anticipated the restoration of Israel and the Holy Spirit rested on him. The Holy Spirit revealed to him that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Led by the Spirit, he went into the temple area and meanwhile, the, Jesus' parents brought the child into the temple so that they could do what was customary under the law. Simeon took Jesus in his arms and praised God and he said, Now, Master, let your servant go in peace according to your word, because my eyes have seen your salvation. You prepared this salvation in the presence of all people. It's the light for revelation to Gentiles and a glory for your people Israel. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I'm going to invite us to respond to this gospel reading. If you would so uh, turn to your hymnal to page uh, 226, there is a, a, a short little hymn that's based on this very scripture from Luke that I'd like for us to, to listen and then sing.
Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. And let the people say, Amen. Well, it is a privilege always to have an opportunity to preach at this pulpit. Today marks the third time this year where I have so preached. Uh, hold your applause. Uh, the first time was on January 1st, which was the first Sunday after Christmas. The second time was on Sunday, April 23rd, which was the Sunday after Easter. You see where this is going? And today, the first Sunday after Christmas, once again. Now, I'm not sure if these opportunities to preach the Sunday following the highest holy days of the, Christmas, of the Christian year are a hoped-for confidence in my preaching to draw high attendance numbers from the previous Sunday, or if it's just giving an associate pastor a safe Sunday where the harm in preaching can, can be minimized. Now, you all laugh, but uh, I'm glad you all are here to laugh with me and to help fill this sanctuary on this wintry advisory Sunday. Thank you for being here this morning. May we celebrate and give thanks to God that we hear on a day on what I like to call one of the low, high holy days of the Christian year. Why should worship attendance be this way? On one Sunday, we're celebrating the birth of the Savior of the world. And people have come to worship the newborn King. On another Sunday, we're celebrating the resurrection of Christ, the one who has conquered sin and death. If worship attendance is an indicator of our response to the world-changing, life-transforming event of the birth and resurrection of the Savior of the world, might we expect People will want to know more, would want to experience more, come back the following Sunday. Instead, on these Sundays after Christmas and Easter, one could look around and raise the question, did that message take last week? What's going on? Yet today we are here, out of custom, out of faithful observance, out of our Sunday morning ritual, present in body and spirit, and perhaps along with those who eavesdrop on the radio or are reading captions live online, watching, listening, and singing, and reading for what message may follow and take within us on this low, high holy day after Christmas. Our message is, loving all never gets old, centers on two biblical accounts. The first 
in which a freed people, remembrance, a deliverance. And the second, a Holy Spirit-led old man who sees the future with complete deliverance for all people. And both stories have their root in a faith community ritual and tradition. Now, I want you to hold that thought for a moment. A faith community's deliverance through a faith community ritual and tradition. Let us compare that with the eve in which a ritual of the new year during which there will be another well-known community tradition which will strike at midnight. At that time, there will be sung the song, which is the last of our Christmas record sermon series. What is that song? Which, if it is not sung, would feel like the new year has not yet arrived. What is that name? Some uh, old Lang Syne? Yes, old Lang Syne. A song that nearly everyone recognizes but doesn't know the words to it. It is probably the most well mumbled, well hummed song of the new year. An English newspaper, The Independent, recently reported a survey in which only 3% of the people in the United Kingdom knew the word to Old Lang Syne. According to The Independent, Old Lang Syne is an 18th century song from Scotland, which means for the sake of old times. The author of these lyrics is unknown. These lyrics we have because they are copied by and some of which are original too, the Scottish poet Robert Burns. And it was he who gave the poem to the Scott Musical Museum in 1788 with the following note. The following song, an old song of the olden time and which has never been in print nor even in manuscript until I took it down from an old man. So here's the English translation from the Scottish tongue. Should old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? Should old acquaintance be forgot and old lang syne? And then the chorus, for old lang syne, my dear, for old lang syne, will take a cup of kindness yet for old lang syne. And surely you'll buy your pint cup, and surely I'll buy mine, and we'll take a cup of kindness yet for Auld Lang Syne. For Auld Lang Syne, my dear, for Auld Lang Syne. We'll take a cup of kindness yet for Auld Lang Syne. We too have run about the slopes and picked the daisies fine, but we've wandered many a weary foot since Auld Lang Syne. Auld Lang Syne, my dear, Auld Lang Syne. We'll take a cup of kindness yet for Auld Lang Syne. We too have paddled in the stream from morning sun until dine. But seas between us broad have roared 
that's old Lang Syne. For old Lang Syne, my dear, for old Lang Syne. Or take a cup of kindness yet for old Lang Syne. And there's a hand, my trusty friend, and give me a hand of thine, and we'll take a right good will draft for old Lang Syne. For old Lang Syne, my dear, for old Lang Syne. We'll take a cup of kindness yet for old Lang Syne. Interestingly, Robbie Burns' contribution of Auld Lang Syne was not intended to be a New Year's Eve ritual song. According to a 1965 Life magazine article, we can thank a big band leader, the Canadian Guy Lombardo, whose band first played Auld Lang Syne on American radio during a 1929 New Year's Eve music set. Now I have to confess that after I read all the words to Auld Lang Syne, I had some misgivings which I shared with our music director, Jimmy Emery. I said, some part of this song feels like a drinking song. I'm not sure if this song is appropriate to sing in church. But there are portions of Auld Lang Syne, lyrics that touch on human friendships that have endured over the years, of friendships made in youth and have lasted into maturity, of friends playing alongside one another on hillsides, now separated by many a weary foot, a friend paddling together in a stream now separated by a roaring ocean. When I talked about this sermon topic with one of our pastors, Kenan Pickett, who helped create this Christmas record sermon series, I learned that the song Auld Lang Syne and the passage from Joshua were chosen for their association as a marker as a cultural and spiritual religious defining point. So it is on the tradition, on the transition between the old year and the new year that a song from the 18th century and popularized in mid-century radio and television is sung. A song in which people cherish friendships forged and shared joys and sorrows, and through putting one hand with the other hand and taking <clears throat> a cup of kindness for old time's sake. Is Auld Lang Syne a cheesy song? Guy Lombardo told Life magazine in 1965, call it corny, I don't care. But when played in its New Year's Eve context, Auld Lang Syne strikes an emotional, wistful chord that evokes remembrance, marking, transition, and change. May we go now to the scriptures and connect with two stories that mark our remembrance and transition in faith let us go first to our scene from the book of Joshua, not far from the Jordan River. About a mile east from Jericho, 
the 40-year wilderness-tested Israelite, gathered in a place called Gilgal. Their attention was upon Moses, successor Joshua, appointed by Moses and commissioned by God to be the leader of the Israelites. Their attention was also upon 12 large stones with 12 men, each one from the 12 tribes of Israel had taken from the dry bed of the Jordan River, taken up while the flowing Jordan water stopped by the hand of God, allowed the Israelite to cross on dry ground. Joshua spoke. In the future when your children ask their parents, what about these stones? Then you will let your children know. Israel crossed over the Jordan here on dry ground. This was because the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you crossed over. This was exactly what the Lord your God did at the Red Sea. He dried it up before us until we crossed over. And this happened so that all the earth's population might know that the Lord's power is great and that you may always revere the Lord your God. Four days later, as the Israelites remembered their deliverance from slavery in Egypt, they broke the Passover bread for the first time in the land promised to the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the manna which they had received and had been sustained during their 40-year wilderness sojourn came to an end. The food that they would eat from then on would be from the fruits of the promised land. The 12 stones at Gilgal, now lost to history, remain a biblical transitional monument in the story of God's promise to Israel. The crossing of the Jordan was the culmination of a 470-year Israelite sojourn slavery, freedom, and return from Egypt. For generations to come, the children of all nations would be reminded of God's slavery-breaking, home-giving act. Here at Gilgal is the continued Abraham story that the God of Israel is to bless all the earth's people. At Gilgal, the 12 stones are part of the prophetic foundation that God's saving action will be ultimately before all people. And in the fullness of time, God's love revealed to former slaves would not be contained nor remain with the 12 tribes of Israel, but would rather transition to embrace all people. This year, our country has seen a transitional conflict over the meaning of some of our public monuments of stone and metal. Protest in Charlottesville called to question the meaning of those public monuments raised in memory to military and political leaders 
during our country's greatest crisis. The question was, were these public monuments raised to memories of wartime valor? Even if such valor was given in defense of slave-holding institutions? Or were these monuments a Jim Crow cover for a more sinister message of white supremacy? Or were these monuments a segregationist cover that equal protection of the law is still denying the generation of former slaves? What we did see was a movement of a white nationalist race-based tribalism that gave their interpretation of a public monument in Charlottesville. And their interpretation led to the death of a young woman who had protested for a inclusive, loving vision of our nation's ongoing story. In her death, there's not yet a monument of stone, but there is for our nation's memory a new monument to justice and love named Heather Heyer. In that her life was given in a loving act, may we say such love will never get old? Let us return to Gilgal and fast forward some 1,200 years to first century Jerusalem. Our Gospel of Luke scene takes place in the temple. There an old man, Simeon, devout, patiently waiting for the restoration of Israel, is following a Holy Spirit appointment. For the Holy Spirit had assured Simeon, that he would not die before he saw the Lord's Christ, the Lord's anointed. In the temple, Simeon saw and sees a couple bringing in their newborn son. At eight days old, the child is brought by his parents as required by the law of Moses. That is, to circumcise the child and the mother, be ritually purified. The child is Jesus, an old man, Simeon, led by the Spirit, enters the temple area and takes Jesus into his arms and praises God, saying, Now, Master, let your servant go in peace according to your word, because my eyes have seen your salvation. You prepared this salvation in the presence of all people. It is a light for revelation to the Gentile and a glory for your people, Israel. What does this story of Simeon mean for us? There's no stone, no monument like in our first story, but there is an encounter with God that like the 12 stones at Gilgal is mediated by religious ritual. At Gilgal, the generations of Israel will remember what God has done at the temple, the parent of the newborn Christ observes the customs of the law. And in that context of religious ritual, the patient Holy Spirit led Simeon, 
sees the future of God's salvation. Simeon exclaimed to God, Lord, I can die in peace now. We can say, perhaps, with Simeon, that through Christ, the salvation story remembered at the stone of Gilgal is not just for Israelites. For God has expanded that 12-stone circle at Gilgal to encircle the globe with God's love in Christ, the light of salvation revealed to all people. And contained in God's salvation is nothing less than the pure, uncorrupted, self-giving love of God for all. Monuments. Monuments to movements which love only self and tribe to the exclusion or oppression of others or get old, toxic, and irrelevant. And I might add, dangerous to the well-being of our nation and world. However, monuments, whether in stone or in living memory mediated by ritual and tradition that are loving to all, will endure and be relevant. Monuments that revere God will endure. We know this in the remembrance of those who chose love, not hate. We know this because we do remember a modern-day prophet who on the eve of his assassination, preaching at a Memphis Church of God in Christ, preached to garbage collectors who were protesting for decent wages and working conditions, that he feared no man, but just wanted to do God's will. We remember one who walked from a South African apartheid prison, bent not on revenge, but seeking reconciliation and truth through the Christian tradition of confession and forgiveness. And we know from Scripture that love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant, nor rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or, or resentful. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And might we add with today's message, loving all never gets old. We began our message today with a New Year's Eve song that references friends taking a cup of kindness. Did you know that in our Wesleyan tradition, we have a loving cup? These two-handled loving cups were shared at Wesleyan Love Feast, which was not Holy Communion, but a feast where testimonies and songs of God's grace and love in Christ were shared. One of their songs, sung also to a Scottish tune, was Come Thou Traveler Unknown, 
a story of God's love that is disclosed through the wrestling of doubt of one who discovers God's name is love. We'll be singing that hymn later in the service, and then when we do so, I hope that you'll meditate upon the love which God claimed upon you as God's own, and the never getting loving all love of God that is for all people. As Jimmy and I discussed the music for today, I discovered that the song, My Master, See the Time Has Come, that song of Simeon, which like the poet Robert Byrne, we took from an old man, Simeon, had the same meter as Auld Lang Syne. I think as followers of Christ as so blessed by God's perfecting grace to have loved one another as Christ has loved us, that to sing, my master, see the time has come to the tune of Auld Lang Syne is just might be the song that would take on a Sunday after Christmas. A song proclaiming a love of God and for all peoples. May we pray. My master, see the time has come to give your servant leave to go in peace long waited for your promise now fulfilled for I have seen salvation Lord now may the whole world see that light which is your Israel's boast enlightening every land O oh God may the monument we seek or build and the movement we seek or support be consistent with your son's love for all for all and our loving all and let the people say Amen <laughs>